This is Rumble, and I'm Michael Moore, and I'm very uh, lucky to have as my guest on uh, today's show the representative from the 5th District of the state of Minnesota in our United States Congress. She became one of the first two Muslim women ever to be elected to the United States Congress in 2018, and um, and I'm I think she is she's in between votes here, so we're very lucky to uh, have, uh, able to have this time and also so much going on right now. Please welcome uh, to Rumble uh, Representative uh, Ilhan Omar. How are you? Well, great, great to be here, Michael. This is really exciting. Let me first of all start before we get, get into politics and what's going on in, in um, Minneapolis and everything. The, um, your father passed away. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago. So first of all, of all my condolences, and I, I hope uh, you and your family are, are doing okay. He um, passed away at the age, I, I believe, of 67 years old, and, uh, and and the cause of death was complications of COVID-19. So this is, uh, this is uh, doubly uh, despairing in terms of um, that he had to leave us before his time um, because of this pandemic that we're in the middle of. Yeah. How, 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 how are you doing? Uh, thank you for your condolences. I'm, you know, I, it's, it's been a, a challenge um, to coming to terms with the fact that he's taken from us. You know, my, my father um, was, was a fighter and, you know, for me, it just, it, it sort of puts an exclamation point on just how dangerous this virus is um, and, and how many people's lives are being stolen by it and how seriously we need to take it in, um, in not just, you know, urging people to wear um, masks, but testing and tracing. Um, you know, my, my father was an avid mask wearer um and you know he he was quite frustrated at times um when he would briefly step out that you know he would encounter people without a mask and um and you know it's just it's a reminder that we don't wear the mask for ourselves we wear it for the protection of others as well mm-hmm. and so when others wear it then they're protecting us and so it's a reciprocal thing that we do as a community to keep each other safe. And, um, and, and I just know that the people he came into contact with, if they were wearing a mask, um, that his, his life would have, would have been saved and he would have still been here with us. And so I just hope that people take that seriously. Um, and our leaders continue to urge people to take it seriously and wear masks themselves as well. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really sorry that this happened uh, to him, to you, to your family. Um, the, you know, from what I, I know of you, and of course we've met and spoken before. You, um, your your mother, I believe, died when you were very young. Around yeah, he was. He was mostly my my mother and father, and so this this is yeah um, a, a real loss, very hard one. You had to. You were born in Somalia. Um, but uh, when you were eight years old, uh, due to the the fighting and everything going on there, um, you became refugees and you lived for eight years old. Uh, you went to Kenya, you and your father and other family members, and um, lived in a refugee camp there for four years uh, before uh, 
being able to come to the United States and uh, you ended up in uh, in Minneapolis and that that whole journey from the time of your mother's death when you were two through being a refugee to coming to the United States um, uh, I mean those of us who were born here can only imagine um, we've heard the stories of our grandparents or great-grandparents or whatever and what they had to go through to come here and, and then survive here and all that but um, I can like I, like I said, I can only imagine what uh, what this has all meant to you and what you've been through and then how much your father meant to you for, through all of this. So um, thank you for coming to the United States. <laughs> I really, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank, thanks, thanks to the United States for, for having me um, and, and for allowing me the, the, the opportunity really to find a new home um, and, and to thrive. Yeah, the, the rest of us had no choice. We were just born here. Like nobody asked us. <laughs> If we wanted to be Americans, it just that's actually a, a, a really good one. I, I, I a friend recently um, said, you know, it's it's kind of funny that you know every everybody um, you know questions the the Americanness of a lot a lot of you know uh, immigrants and and refugees in in this country. You know, they 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 swear allegiance um, and uh, and are actively choosing. Um, right. to right. be an American and to be part of our, our, our country more than anyone else is. Um, and, and so, you know, this is, this is our, it's our chosen home. It's, you know, you, you, you can think of yourself as a, as a guest when you, when you are um, an, an immigrant, like you would be to, to a new home, <laughs> to, new, to a place that you're visiting. Um, or you can think, of yourself as someone who's staying and, you know, um, and, and the difference between that is, you know, when some, when a guest visits your home, they expect you to do everything for them and to cater to them. Um, and when, you know, they are now going to be living in that same space, you also expect them to do their fair share. And, um, that's what, you know, we do actively, when when we get involved in in organizing um, and and legislating and being part of the American um, fabric and and progress is is you know doing our part in in creating that more perfect union. Which brings us to Minneapolis. Uh, you represent the city of Minneapolis. I believe your district covers the entire city. Um, mm-hmm. And and. To be honest, I don't think most people listening to this would have ever would have ever thought or assumed that um, a revolution would begin in, of all places, Minneapolis. No offense to Minneapolis; it's it's one of I think one of our best cities in the country, and I've always enjoyed my time there in both St. Paul and Minneapolis. And um, I mean, we say we say no one thought except Prince. Except Prince, yes. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I think as a Minneapolis native, he had a vision of the of that of that being possible that, that the revolution yes. would begin in Minneapolis. Yes, that's so true. And <laughs> and and when and 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 look at what Minnesota has Minnesota has given us. Prince gave us Bob Dylan, uh, the Coen Brothers in, in film, uh, 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 so many uh, great artists. I, I believe F. Scott Fitzgerald was uh, born in uh, uh, Minnesota. So. Yes. 
so much good, so much creativity and art and thinking and politics. Even the Democratic Party in Minnesota isn't called the Democratic Party. It's Democratic Farmer Labor. Yes. So like you put it right in the title. Yes, we're for the laborers and we're for the farmers. (laughs) So we've all had these good feelings about Minneapolis and Minnesota for, you know, certainly in my lifetime. Nonetheless, a lynching took place in your district in that corner in front of Cup Foods that you represent by the Minneapolis police. And this is not the first endeavor by the Minneapolis police to kill innocent black people in Minneapolis. And, um, you know, we don't generally think, you know, I'm, you know, being from Detroit and Flint, you don't think of Minneapolis as a black city the way you would Atlanta or, you know, places like that. But, um, but what, but in the last few years, one after another, the abuse uh, toward black citizens by the Minneapolis police, well, it ignited a movement and a more than a movement. This has been profound in terms of, of how the, the country seems to have risen up and all kinds of people, all races and, and um, age groups and genders. And it's, it's, it, it as sad as this moment is, and as tragic it is, it is as it has been for George Floyd's family and before him the Castile family and the Clark family and the others um, essentially murdered by the Minneapolis police, there's been something out of this that has, I think, started to transform us. I hope. I hope I'm not just trying to grasp onto some false optimism, but I just what. You're the representative in our United States Congress for the epicenter of this um, revolution, I'll call it. I just want to hear what you're going through and what you're thinking and what, and what, because I've, I've been watching you and listening to you here the last month or so, and your leadership has been uh, inspiring. And I'd, I'd just like to you to share that with our listeners here on, on this podcast. Yeah, I mean, I, it, you know, th- th- thank you for that. I, I, I think oftentimes people um, think about, you know, a lot of the the systematic racism um, in in our country to be centered in in places um, like the the South and you know, and and places where there is a, a heavy black population and and we don't often think about you know the the the, the great north <laughs> um having you know some some racial tensions uh and you know it's been it's been the case that Minneapolis has um one of the worst racial uh disparity gaps um for our country and you know Minneapolis, as progressive and as liberal and as forward thinking um, as we have been, uh, have not had um, the 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 kind of um, transformative change that would allow us to rid ourselves of these systematic ills that that um, continue to devastate our our communities. I mean, I remember the first, you know, everybody in Minneapolis has a story of the first police brutality they've witnessed, the p- first police lynching, the first police, 
you know, mass murder. Um, and there, there is, um, a shared camaraderie in, 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 in the communities of color, um, in, in, in that, in knowing, you know, that these are not just stories people tell us. These are things that we ourselves have witnessed, um, once or twice or, or multiple times. And so the first killing, um, of an innocent person that I witnessed was, you know, nearly 20 years ago, um, uh, of, of a young, of a young man, his name was Abu Jailani and he was gunned down on Franklin and Chicago having just left, uh, um, a mental health institution, um, where he was hospitalized, uh, and was, um, a father, uh, and was awaiting just actually the arrival of his son, who's now 18. And, um, and I, I remember I was standing in that, in that corner as were many other people as the police, you know, try to, 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 to get this man to, to comprehend what they were saying. He didn't speak English. And, um, and obviously he was having, you know, um, a mental health crisis and there was no attempt really to try to even understand that these could be some, some of the problems that, that are leading to, to him not following police commands. And so they unloaded nearly 30 bullets into his body, Mm. um, within, you know, within minutes of, of that, uh, interaction. And, you know, then you have, you know, the Jamar Clark case um, and, and, and other, you know, multiple others that have outraged the, the, the community. Uh, and we have, over the years, um, turned our, our anger, our pain and frustration um, into asking for change and, and you know, um, reforming uh, the the system to be a more equitable one, but when you have systems that are entrenched in um, in systematic oppression and injustice, um, reforms around the edge <laughs> that barely scratch the surface are not going to create the kind of positive outcome that you ultimately want uh, in, in keeping everyone safe and wanting, you know, people to have full liberation and access to their constitutionally mandated right to life and liberty. Uh, and so, you know, Minneapolis is one of those rare cities that has um, duty to intervene um, as, as, a, as a policy for their police officers. And then you have the case with George Floyd, where three police officers failed to intervene uh, in the killing of an innocent man who was no threat to the police or to the public for eight minutes and 46 seconds. Um, And even the officer who took his life failed even at that duty to intervene as he'd asked and begged um, for his life to, to be saved. And so, you know, we, we, I think for now understand 
um, that reforms in in the way in which we used to think about them are no longer going to save lives in in our city and they are not going to save our communities and they are not um, going to save our our nation uh, and so there are many municipalities around the country that have police departments that need a little push in order to do better um, but the Minneapolis Police Department in my belief isn't one of those uh, and so it is going to be really important for us, to gut it and figure out how to rebuild um, a, a new policy and, and standard that will keep all of us safe um, and, and will attend to the needs of the community when there is someone who's having a mental health crisis, when there is someone who is dealing with uh, a substance abuse that risks their lives in the community, when we have, you know, someone who um just needs uh an an extra support and the way in which our system is set up right now isn't isn't serving us because we have paid so much money in into a punitive system um and we have neglected um to socially and economically care uh for the people in in our community and providing adequate education and healthcare and housing and, um, and, and mental health support and substance abuse support um, in dealing with youth violence um, and, and, and neglect. Uh, and so this is really a reckoning that we are having with, with the system as a community that does resonate with the rest of the country because there is um, uh, a mirroring community in every corner of, of, of the country. And that's why you see right. protests is for the first time happening in all 50 states and across the country, I mean, across the world. Mm. Uh, and so you, you know that, you know, the issues that we have in Minneapolis um, are relatable, are understandable, yes. Um, and are translatable for for everyone, um, regardless of where where they live and what background they have. And that I think is when you understand that this movement is going to to lead us to a moment of uh, real transformative change, not just for our community, um, but for the country and the world. These protests have happened in the smallest towns across right. this country. Um, you say that the current police department in Minneapolis needs to be gutted. Um, and that's a tough word. Uh, but there is the city council agrees with you. Um, uh, it seems like it, most decent people agree with this. Can Minneapolis um, create a different idea as you've been describing of how, if we were to deal with public safety, if we were to think of it in a different way, can, can Minneapolis perhaps become the example of that other communities can follow? Do you think Minneapolis can pull this off? It's a, it seems like a tall order. Um, but it, but it also seems like there's no, no place else to go, but to make these changes, to, to do the gutting. 
Uh, I, I believe so. I believe in, in our community. I believe in, in our ability to build um, systems that work for, for all of us. Um, what I also know is, is that, you know, people in, in the community are finally understanding many of the failures um, that the department uh, has um, and, and the ways in which it hasn't really lived up to performing its core functions. So Minneapolis Police Department fails to solve half of the homicide crimes in the city. Um, we have had um, rape kits um, disappeared or destroyed. Um, we have had, uh, you know, multiple um, police officers who, um, you know, are accused of misuse um, of, of their powers and, and the city and its citizens pay out millions of dollars um, every year uh, to citizens um, who have been violated um, by the, the Minneapolis Police Department. Uh, and so when you think about how much money we are already spending uh, in, in just the policing function that is not working, <laughs> um, how much money we are spending in um, covering um, the citizens that have been harmed by the Minneapolis Police Department, and you think about the ways in which their, their credibility um, is, is not believed uh, uh, in, in, in the community um, and the way in which uh, so many um, other institutions within the community have lost trust mm. um, and you know, got rid of the, the relationship that they have with the Minneapolis Police Department. It doesn't make any sense for the citizens of our city um, to be forced to continue to carry out this, this relationship um, almost every single other, you know, institution, um, and, you know, corporation and, um, entity has decided to end the relationship with the Minneapolis police department. Um, and the city council is just following through in ending the relationship yeah. the city has with it as well. I can understand that because I don't know how, how do you call it a police department? I didn't realize that half the homicides that happen in Minneapolis are not solved by the, the police. That that's so that's such an incredible statistic that it it um how do they even call themselves a police if they can't do the very basic thing of solving half the homicides mm -hmm. or 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 treating rape like it's not important and and just destroy rape kits and and this just this is I want to believe, Congresswoman. Omar, I want to believe that we're going to come out of this, not just with better policing and a different way to look at public safety, but can we, can this uprising result in other changes, basic changes that we need that, that took us to you and I, I think this is all bundled, bundled in together in terms of our, the, the, the lack of healthcare, um, um, housing, uh, education, all these things. Uh, you know, you've been a big supporter for a long time of of uh, ending student debt, canceling it, uh, not 
not having young people go into such debt just because they want to go to college. I mean, all these things, is it, is it too much to ask? Are we, I, I, I've, I've mentioned on this podcast before, are we just too overwhelmed or are we capable right now to let's, let's come out of this pandemic. Let's post Minneapolis. Let's come out of this with some of the things that we all need. Am, am I, am I up in the sky with some pie or is, is this, is this something that you have some belief in that we could do this? I do. You know, I'm always the optimist in, in the room. So I believe that our voices in the streets and our, our votes in the ballot box can produce those things if we actively join them um, and, and recognize the importance of, of both equally. Uh, what I am seeing today um, in the changes that are being proposed just because of the sheer number of people that are out in the streets, pressuring the system, um, makes me very optimistic about what's possible. And and I say that because, again, as someone who you know um, grew up in in Minneapolis and had been organizing since you know I was fourteen um, around systematic change there, I know that every single time the people recognize. Um, their their voice in the street needs to lead to creating pressure points for those that are in power. We have been able to to have some change, um, and now what we are seeing is that people actually are very clear in the kind of change they want to see. And so you know you don't you don't just have people um, saying, you know, we want our elected officials to act or we want, you know, corporations to invest in our communities. We want, people are actually saying, I want you to make this particular investment, right? Like, I want you to create this particular policy. Um, And so the calls that are happening right now are not just dealing with police brutality and systematic racism, they are dealing with the social and economic neglect many of our communities have faced for so long. Right, and so in the calls um, that are that are being pushed uh, in in the streets have been about investment in education, uh, investment in healthcare, um, investment in you know. Um, having justice within our criminal justice system, investment in de-incarceration and the funding of our police and our you know, military uh, and reinvesting um, and creating budgets that actually translate um, to economic and social investment for us. Uh, you, you can clearly see that there are... Um, very straightforward, strategic people who are leading the movement, even though they are very young, very black, very feminine, very queer, they are very honest about what they want to see. And so their calls really are not uh, in, in platitudes. Their calls are not um, theoretical. Their calls are um, pointy and and um, and I believe because of that 
um, we we are you know going to to get to what where we need to get for so long. I mean, you know, people would say, you know, people come out to the streets and you really don't know what they want. Why don't they just say what they want? Um, and you have people who are saying, I want you to spend ninety percent, you know, like ninety nine percent of of the budget in caring for um, the 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 people who actually are. Um, part part of the community that need that investment. Those are our, right. our children. Um, that is, you know, our elderly. Those are, you know, families who are struggling. And so, having uh, an an economy that that um, works for all of us, having a healthcare system um, that provides free healthcare to all of us, um, having housing for all of us. Like those are part of, of the policies that are being articulated and talked about um, by organizers, uh, which I think is a step in the in the right direction. And our response as legislators has been um, to, you know, legislate um, our 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 pain and our anguish and um, and trauma. Uh, in, into something positive that that's about hope and wealth building and um, and and transformative right. for, for all of our community. I know you've got a vote that you have to get to, and I just uh, wanted to ask you one last uh, question, just on an international issue. Uh, if we could just switch channels just for a second, the, the Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, last month uh, just announced that they were going to unilaterally annex more of the West Bank. Just just literally without any legal considerations, just take more land uh, from uh, Palestinians. And there has been in the last week or so quite an outcry around the world um, against this. And he said he was going to do it uh, July 1st and July 1st has come. And now he's saying he's going to have to, he wants to think about it just a little a little bit more, uh, probably just waiting for things to calm down. But, but you and a dozen or so, I think, other members of Congress have signed a letter stating that uh, that you know the United States gives almost four billion dollars a year of aid, mostly military aid, to Israel. That that you can no longer steal people's land, and if you're going to do that, then then we, the United States, are going to have to condition this money based on your behavior. Um, First of all, it was just this is something that never would have happened a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago. The fact that there's a dozen members of Congress willing to to say that, to go publicly on the record and say that, and 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 take whatever abuse you're going to have to take. But but um, just if you could just in our closing moments here, just explain to people listening to this why this is an important issue, um, and and why we as Americans, even though we've got all this other stuff we're facing right now, why we should care about this. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it is the responsibility of all of us to oppose systematic injustices here and abroad, um, and more so the responsibility of of, of Congress. Um, you know what you what you just mentioned unilateral annexation is a violation of international law. It's a violation of Palestinian human rights, and directly counters. It's a direct counter to. American values of democracy and self-determination. And I, I think it's really important for us to remember um, that when we say we want to lead, 
um, we 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 have to lead with with our values, and this stands in the face of that. Um, but also in 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 leading in a collaborative effort when when we have been for um, the 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 right of Palestinians and Israelis to live side by side in peace, then we have to include um, the the voices of Palestinians who oppose uh, the annexation of of their land. And you know, for me. Um, seeing justice-oriented members of Congress um, has has been uh, a really important thing. And I think for the first time, the people who march in the streets against injustices can see there is a direct linkage um, to the kind of people that you sent to, to Congress who will not only stand up against um, oppressive systems here, um, but oppressive systems around the world, uh, because the injustices we allow here um, translate uh, something to to people across the country, and it's important uh, that we have that sort of intersectional len- uh, lens in in thinking about ourselves as it relates to what's happening around the world. Um, but with that, I, I really do appreciate chatting with you uh, again. Hello to. Uh, to your to your listeners, um, we're gonna go and and vote, and I look forward to chatting with you again. Yes, thank you so much, uh, Congresswoman Omar from Minneapolis. Thank you for being on Rumble, and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you. Mike. Okay, all right, be well and be safe. And uh, I just I, I want to add to um, that uh, I personally I honor her father uh, for what he did both in saving her life and other members of the family in Somalia um, and the struggle of being a refugee of coming to this country. The fact that he would have to leave us because of this pandemic um, is um, obviously very sad, but also an outrage. I also want to, um, we, we began our discussion talking about uh, being an immigrant and, and uh, the other immigrants who come here, choose to come here. Um, there was a Gallup poll just out recently um, that said for the first time ever, um, the majority of American people not only were supportive of immigrants and immigration, they wanted more of it. And it it was actually a record number of Americans in this Gallup poll. Um, I'll I'll post it on the podcast uh, site here on the page uh, so you can read the article. That is really, that says, that speaks so well to what I think the majority of the people in this country, where they, at, where they are at in their hearts, in their souls, in their conscience, that a record number of them would uh, not only say that they thought immigrants or immigration was a good idea, um, but that they wanted more of it. That, um, that is a turn. That is a turn. It's a turn um, that should have happened a long time ago, considering most of us, other than um, African-Americans and and Native people, all the rest of us uh, and our our ancestors, our grandparents, great-grandparents, whatever, came from someplace else, uh, came by choice, not not, not necessarily the kind of choice that we think of as today. They, many of them were poor. 
Uh, many of them were escaping various forms of persecution and saw the new world as a, a haven that maybe they could live and be free. And, um, and it's been forgotten over the years, just how, um, how many of us, none of us would be here if it weren't for that. Of course, um, black Americans are, uh, unless they've immigrated here from other places, if, if, um, are the descendants of slaves and our native peoples are, are the descendants of the survivors of a mass extinction, a mass genocide. Um, as I've said for, I don't know, I first wrote this 25 years ago in my first book where I wrote about the fact that we have these two original sins, that we were founded in genocide and built on the backs of slaves. So I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged by things like this, that the majority of our, of our fellow Americans um, believe differently now. And that's thanks in large part to young people, young adults. The average age of this country now, I think it's 37 years old. Um, so thank you to the younger um, people. There's also the, I, I, um, I want to mention the, the squad, as they're called uh, in uh, Congress, the, the four uh, first-term women in the United States Congress who are all were elected in 2018, um, all women of color, uh, Rashida Tlaib, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, um, uh, Lana Presley, and uh, who we're just speaking to, uh, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar from uh, Minneapolis. Uh, so they've got this nickname, The Squad, and they've now started uh, a couple days ago a what's called the Squad Victory Fund. And uh, um, you, people, the public, myself, can donate to this to support not just their reelection, but uh, they're going to actually help get other progressives elected here in November. So uh, check this out. I'll have a, I'll have a link or something here on my, on my podcast page that you can go to. I'm going to contribute to it. I encourage you to do uh, such if you, uh, if you are so inclined, I think that's, um, that's a real good idea. Well, this has been, uh, I've enjoyed this, uh, this uh, podcast here with Ilhan Omar. Uh, I've uh, known her now for a couple of years and, uh, uh, she's just a, a wonderful human being, full of kindness and uh, goodness and compassion. Um, and she's not afraid to speak her mind. Uh, Minneapolis is very, very lucky to have her at this moment, especially. And we're all very lucky to have her and the other, um, the other women of the squad in our United States Congress. Thank you, everybody, for listening uh, today. Thank you to my executive producer of Rumble, Basil Hamden, um, our editor and sound engineer, Nick Quaz, all the other people um, who've been supportive and helpful uh, with this uh, podcast, and to all of you, the listeners, for uh, being part of this, having surpassed uh, 12 million uh, listeners. Thanks, everyone. I hope uh, you enjoy your uh, 4th of July uh, weekend. Um, the Canadians already had theirs. Uh, theirs is July 1st. I constantly have asked them, how can you 
have your 4th of July on the 1st of July. It's called the 4th of July. I don't understand. But, uh, but I hope all of you do enjoy your, please be safe. Please, we don't, two weeks from now, we don't want this even, uh, pandemic to even be worse than what Dr. Fauci is already warning us. We're going to be at 100,000 new cases every single day. So please be safe. Be careful. Um, but enjoy your family, yourself, your friends in whatever safe way uh, that you can. Be well. This is Rumble, and I'm Michael Moore. No, 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 no. Another bloody day. No, we're tired of the crime.